All right, so lesson number seven. I'm calling this the obedience of faith because that's the phrase that's in the verse. So uh, in our opening passages here in Romans chapter one, uh, Paul's been going down through, and I've given you in some of your past notes that kind of outline of chapter one so that you can see all the interrelationships. And as he, as he works his way down through this passage, uh, like I said from the very beginning of the class, this is one sentence in the Greek language. And so it's a long, complex uh, sentence that Paul uses as a, as a way of tying things together, as showing us that some things can't be divided. But we do it. So we put periods in and spaces and paragraphs. Sometimes the paragraphs are in the wrong place. So uh, please realize, you know, that the subheadings, the chapter headings, the verses were not in the original documents, not till uh, just before, actually, just before the King James Bible was translated. So there, there were no chapters and verses. How would you like that to be your Bible? Uh, there were books and one big long scroll. So you just rolled a scroll until you found the part that you were looking for. You know, and don't drop it on the floor because then you got to re-roll the scroll. Right? No, you don't do that. But Paul wants to uh, share with these people the power of the gospel. And that it is this preaching of the gospel. So we've been talking about what is the gospel over the last uh, several weeks. And that's really what Paul wants us to understand. That the gospel is this declaration that's been in existence since, actually since the fall. When God announced to Eve that her seed would bruise the head of the serpent. That's the gospel that God would send a deliverer, a substitute, that would pay the price. Now, this substitute would be wounded. So that's part of that message also. So there would be a wound to this substitute. The word God used for Eve was simply your seed. Later on, the seed became recognized as the promise, a redeemer, the substitute. Um, the hope, the lamb. And so it's referred to so many different ways. One of the oldest books of the Bible, actually written before Moses wrote the book of Genesis, all right, so the book of Job, written just before the time of Abraham. And what does he say? I know my Redeemer. Redeemer. So even by Job's time, there was this knowledge that there was a redeemer and, and that this hope was alive. And that's the message that was to be handed down. And so in that message was also, as we've been talking in our, uh, on our last several lessons, in that message was also the fact that he would be man and also God. And so last week, we spent a lot of time talking about that man, son of man, son of God, the incarnation, one of the greatest uh, of the mysteries, of the miracles 
that God has accomplished. One person with two natures. Fully God, fully man. And from this time onward, from the time that he became man and took upon flesh, from that time on, from his resurrection, there is a man in heaven who is standing at the right hand of God. He's God, and he's man, and that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. So what a glorious thing God has done. Now, as Paul moves on in this section, um, let's start again at the top of, of this uh, passage from Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David, that's his humanity, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God, that's his deity, in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead. Who is he? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. So that's the section we're going to be looking at tonight. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this powerful opening uh, wrapped up in, in all of this is pretty much the essentials of the gospel. And then throughout the rest of the book of Romans, it is expounded upon and enlarged the essentials of our salvation, of what God has done and the power of the gospel. And so when we look at this passage, what Paul wants us to understand is, is we've got to see the gospel as God's purpose for man. And as I've said again, Paul's writing this before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written. So all of these people in Rome have never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. They've never read Ephesians or Colossians or Philippians because Paul hasn't written them. Those are about two, uh, no, about six years away. All right? Paul may have written 1st and 2nd Corinthians, but did these people have access to it? He had written 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and he had written the book of Galatians, but did these people have access to those letters? Probably not. There was no printing. Maybe somebody brought some fragments, or they had heard Paul teach, and they had made some copies themselves of some of the things that the different uh, preachers, not only Paul, but others, Priscilla, Aquila, Apollos, others who had come through their region had preached. So there was knowledge in Rome, but there's nothing like this. And this becomes almost like a systematic theology for the church in Rome. I call it 
Paul's gospel because this is his proclamation of what Jesus did. Now, he doesn't describe all of the years of Jesus' life and all of the details of his life because Paul wasn't there to see those. But he tells us what it meant. He's, he's familiar with all of those things. And he tells us what they meant. What, what did it mean that Jesus did this? How was it that Jesus could do this? What happened when Jesus died? What happened when he rose from the dead? Not just what happened on earth. What happened in our life? What happened in the realm of the spirit? In the heavenlies? What, what was going on? With Jesus' death and resurrection, Paul explains that in this glorious book we call the Letter to the Romans. So, have I wanted you to read it? Has everybody been reading it? Yeah, all right. Everybody raised their hand. All right, now I Have you sent me a question or a special verse that has meant something to you? I've been asking you for those. Some of you have, some haven't. And so later on, we will talk about those. And um, I want you to send me something, that, that a part of Romans, that verse, maybe two or three, a little bit of an explanation, not three or four pages, but a little bit of explanation about why that verse is significant to you. And because I, I, I want us to see that this book touches people's lives. I have, as I've said, over 30 commentaries. Uh, on the book of Romans. I got one man's got 13 volumes on the book of Romans. It's whole chapters just on, whole book just on chapter two, three. And it, okay. So I'm not going to go that deep, but they are his sermons and they are powerful. So it's not just some PhD babbling. All right, this is powerful truth that this man preached and converted tens of thousands of people and built huge churches in England. So anyway, so when Paul comes to this last section, the phrase that we're going to really take our lesson from tonight is the obedience of faith, to call them to the obedience of faith. He said, I, want to, I, I received grace in an apostleship, I'll come back to that, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, which includes you. All right, so Paul is saying this, this gift that God has given me, this responsibility, this assignment, was to bring about the obedience of faith. Now here's... Here's where we get confused, because we want to put it as faith and obedience, and that we need to have faith, but we also need to have obedience, right? And so a lot of times it's taught that way, and, and I'm not disagreeing with that, because we can go back to the Old Testament, and you can see examples of that. You can see uh, examples in the New Testament that believing God is one thing and obeying Him is the is another, right? And so, uh, so faith and obedience are important. But Paul doesn't say to bring about faith and obedience. He says the obedience of faith. 
And this is an important transition from the way that we think. Because it's not about, in the phrasings that we use, it's not about doing the law. Because the Old Testament believers were real big about doing the law. But they weren't pleasing God. They killed animals, shed blood, and God said, it makes me sick. You need to read Isaiah chapter 1. How many of you have read Isaiah chapter 1? <laughs> Paul rebukes them. He says, your sacrifices and offerings make me sick. Because all you're doing is killing animals. All I'm seeing is blood. I see no faith. You go in, you kill an animal and walk away and say, well, I took care of that. And if you commit another sin, you just grab another lamb and go kill it. No big deal. You get a little low in money, you use a turtle dove or a pigeon. So you couldn't afford the bigger sacrifice. It's okay. It's all right. I committed my sin. I killed the animal. I shed the blood. It, originally, when God started it, when he established the sacrifices, you went in with your sacrifice and the priest put the knife in your hand and you drew the knife across the throat of the animal you killed it you cut the parts and gave them to the priest who would arrange them on the altar whoa some of us you know can hardly you know look at something like that could you do it i mean that's that's powerful because it had to be your hand. Why? Because it was your sin. And so there was, there was instruction. But then as time went, it's like, eh, it slows it down. i got to teach these people where to cut, you know, and i got to teach them what to do. Sorry if I'm making this a little too gross. But, you know, and the priests, so they, they started doing all of the sacrifices for the people. So then you just became... A spectator. <laughs> uh, kill my lamb for me. Thank you very much. In, in our day, we would probably mail it in. <laughs> you know, just call FedEx, you know, get my sacrifice there, please. You know, make sure it's there on the right time, you know. And just uh, send me a text, you know, when it's, when it's been done. Thank you very much. It, so isolated, we can't even identify. But that's not the way God wanted it. Because what he wanted was you to participate. You had to be a part of this. So, in, in the law, it wasn't just doing it. It's not about rules and regulations and commands. It's, that, that didn't please God. What pleased him was faith. What's always pleased God was faith. Without faith, what? It's impossible to please God. And that statement is made after the section talking about Abel. That's all the way back to the beginning. God said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Cain's sacrifice was not accepted because it was not offered with faith. 
He didn't believe what God had said and made his own way, created his own religion, which has been going on down through all the centuries to this day. But it's not about doing it. It's about faith. Faith that pleases God. So let's look at this statement. The first thing Paul says is, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. This is Paul's reference back to what God has, has done for him, what God has called him to, the assignment that God has given to him. Now, many of the commentaries, in fact, the majority that I was, have been studying, reading from, they, they say the grace is for the believers that Paul is writing to, the apostleship is for him. That's not true, because he's not talking about their grace, he's talking about his. We have received. He didn't say all of us have received, or you have received grace and we have received apostleship. He said we Meaning he, Luke, maybe if Luke was with him at this time, Silas was with him. Maybe a few others. You can read the end of a book of Romans chapter 16 and get a, a collection of the names of some of the people who are with Paul. A man named Tertius is actually writing the letter. His name means the third. How'd you like that to be your name? The third. It's a slave name. And so it was a lower class, slave, even at that. And yet, he's part of the church, important to Paul, writing this gospel. Amen. I love it. Okay, so anyway, we'll talk about that when you get to 16. So what does Paul mean? We're set apart under the gospel. Jesus Christ is the subject of the gospel. And from him... We have received grace. Retranslate the word and as even. In the Greek language, the, the, the little word could be translated as grace and or grace even. In a sense, it's repeating that word over with a different word. It would be like saying first and primary. All right? So... Um, even, even would be the same thing. It's not two things. It's one thing with two different ways of expressing it. Grace and apostleship are both in reference to what Paul has received. Now, have we all received grace? Yeah, of course we have. But that's not the subject of what he's talking about. This gospel, Paul talked about earlier, he called it my gospel. This gospel of God that is given to me to deliver to you, and the only way I could do it is because I have received grace, even apostleship. The grace is that God has given him something. He didn't come up with it himself. It's not from him. It's from God, and apostleship is the authority that God has given him to speak it, to write it, to declare it. As an apostle, one sent with a message. Now, down at the bottom, I, I go through four different things that, that this grace and apostleship means. Number one, it's, this is not just a friendly chat. All right, Paul's letter is not a friendly chat. It is him making some declarations. We have received 
grace, even apostleship, to declare these things to you, to bring about, to call you to the obedience of faith. So Paul's not just writing a friendly letter. Hey, you know, this is great. I've been having a great time. Everything's beautiful here. Uh, here's some pictures. You know, um, I've been traveling, went by boat. My boat was late. You know, it's not Paul's friendly chat. This is him declaring some things that we as believers need to know. And these Roman believers needed. Because they didn't have an apostle. There were some apostles there, but there had been no one as an apostle, one of the twelve, who had gone to Rome to establish the church. So this is something that God gave to Paul to make this declaration to these people. Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 15, down at the bottom of your page. Romans 15 verse 14 says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you are yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So he's, he's saying you are an educated group. You've got good handling of things. How does Paul know that? Because he's been in communication with people who are there. He's had his own personal letters to and from some of the individuals who were there. Saying, man, Paul, this, this church in Rome, this is a great group of people. You need to come here. And Paul's been wanting to get there, but things haven't worked out for that. So verse 15, he says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of a reminder. So he's saying some things you're, you're getting wrong. Some things you have, you have twisted or missed the point. One of those is some of the self-arrogance among the Jewish Christians who have become a little more self-important than they need to be. And it's like, well, we're a separate group. Yeah, I'm glad some of the Gentiles are here. You know, they sit in the outer circle. We, the Jews, are the real Christians. Yeah, there's some problem with that. And he addresses that in chapter 2 and part of chapter 3. So he says, there's some things I've written pretty boldly to you about. There's a couple other things that Paul has to straighten out because they've they've gotten it a little bit wrong and that's where paul is drawing from the grace of god now i gave you a definition of grace back at the beginning but if you want to write this down again jesus gave the definition of grace and we have all kinds of ways we define grace jesus gave it paul prayed for god to take away this problem he prayed three times for it to be gone finally god Jesus spoke to him and said, my grace is sufficient. Listen to the rest of it. It's not a period there. It's a comma. My grace is sufficient. My grace is the overwhelming surplus that you need. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. He could have said, for my grace is made perfect in your weakness. So grace is God's power. Granted to us without merit and without demerit, God's power to accomplish something that we can't do on our own. That's grace. And if it has to do with your sin, it's because you can't do anything about it. But you also need God's grace 
for daily living. You need God's grace to accomplish the purposes and plans that God has for your life. You need God's grace to fulfill your place in the body of Christ. All of those things are God's power made available. So he says, my power is made perfect or my grace is made perfect in your weakness. So whatever you can't do, oh, I love this. Whatever you can't do, God will give you the grace to do. Isn't that wonderful? So Paul says, so I'm going I'm to look around for every weakness that I have. So I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. Oh, I got a weakness over here. I need the grace of God. I need the grace of God. I need the grace of God. How many need the grace of God? I need his grace because he's called me to do things that I can't do. And I need to stop puffing myself up and realize the more I draw from his grace, the more Christ is glorified. So Paul says, this is, this is what God has given me. And, and I've, I've got to say some hard things to you, but the grace gives me so he says that, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God. And so this is, I'm drawn from God's grace to say these things and believing that you won't hate me. Verse 16, because of the grace of God given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So God, wants, God wanted the Gentiles, but he doesn't just want them. He wants them mature. He wants them brought to a, a place of fulfillment. He wants the Gentiles to be able to know who they are and what they have, so that they can do what God has called them to do. So he doesn't want just empty vessels... He wants Gentiles that are fulfilling God's purpose and plan, and they can't do that without the proper instruction. So Paul gives himself to that. Turn to page 2. It says, this grace also comes with an official authority. Paul didn't just decide he wanted to be an apostle. He didn't put in an application. He was called by God. 1 Timothy 1.12, he says, I thank him, most translations put Christ Jesus, I thank Christ Jesus who has given me the strength, Jesus Christ our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. There's so much in this, I just don't have time to preach it all. He's given me strength. The, the Greek phrase, given me strength, is one Greek word, indunamao which means to put the supernatural power of God inside. God has put his power in me. So we would call that empowerment. Right? So this is God's empowerment. God has empowered me. He placed a power in me. What kind of power? To be an apostle. But listen to what he says. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful. The Greek word for judged here means to watch what someone has done so that it leads you to make a conclusion or a decision. To watch what someone has done so that then you can reach a conclusion. Because he judged me faithful, 
appointing me to the service, to his ministry. The Greek word for service is ministry. God judged me faithful. He watched what I was doing so as to make a decision about my life. God calls us to do things that we can't do in our own strength. But if you're not faithful to his word, you'll never reach the place where he'll open the door for you to do it. He judged me what? What's the word? Faithful. Another way to say faithful is, is trustworthy. He judged me trustworthy. So what Paul is saying is God watched something that I was doing. It, it, the Greek word simply means to lead the mind. And so God gives you gifts and abilities. Is that true? God has given me strength. God has empowered me. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with what God has given you? Because how faithful you are to what God has given you will determine what God opens up for you in the future. You got to be faithful because it's appointed to a man to be what? Faithful, to be found faithful. God wants us to be faithful. So God gave the different, uh, the three different servants, he gave them a certain amount. He said, here, go do something with this. Two of them did, one didn't. The two came back and when they gave him what they had made with what God had given, in other words, what they had produced through the gift that God put in their life, when they came back, God said, well done, my faith, my faithful servant enter into the joy of the Lord but the other guy came back and he said here you gave me this I give it back to you nothing lost nothing added nothing gained that's the problem nothing gained I didn't do anything with what you gave me here you can have it back Jesus was not pleased you know the story why because he expected him to do something with it so paul says he found me faithful i i could go back in paul's life and find time and again where god judged paul faithful before he called him to the ministry that's what it says he judged me faithful appointing me to the service he didn't judge me faithful after he appointed me he judged me faithful before he appointed me. And you can read it in any kind of Greek translation you want to read, and it's going to say the same thing. The judging faithful came before the appointing to ministry. So before Acts 13, when God appointed Paul and Barnabas and called them out to the apostleship which he had given them, before that time, God had judged Paul faithful. Faithful in what? Personally, I believe this goes all the way back to his childhood when he decided he wanted to study the law. Why did he want to study the law? Why did he want to follow this track? Why did he want to make this choice? Why did he want to be at that place? How many of you found that you did things in your early life that later on have opened up doors for you even into the future? It's like, I don't know why I made that choice. 
but you did. And God judged that as being what? Faithful. So Paul prepared himself. And so Paul received grace and apostleship. i got to move on. Ephesians chapter 3. We've talked about this verse before, but this is the section where Paul talks about the dispensation of the mystery of God that has been given to him. Paul was very humble about what God had called him to do. This is not arrogance. This is Paul just being honest. And so Paul says, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2, I'm assuming that you have heard of the dispensation of God's grace that has been given to me for you. You see the word stewardship. The Greek word means rules of the house. The dispensation of God's grace that has been given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. I didn't get it from the other apostles. God gave it to me by revelation. And God gave me understanding of this mystery of the Jews and the Gentiles coming together in one body. Read with me verse 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into this mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6, this mystery is that. Here it is. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus, through the gospel, that God was going to join Jew and Gentile together into one body, not a Jewish church, not a Gentile church, not an in-between church, not a church of the wealthy, not a church of the poor, not a church of the bond, not a church of the free, not a church of men, not a church of women, one church. And God was going to join that together. Mankind can't do that. We can hardly have peace with our neighbors. Hopefully you do, but it's amazing. We can't keep it. How in the world could we ever bring about world peace? So I'll join hands. I want to teach the world to sing. Right? And so if we sing the Coca-Cola song, we're going to have world peace. No, we won't. It's not going to happen. Only God could join people together. People that are so bitter against one another. People that are so filled with animosity that, that God is going to join them together. People over different divisions and, and, and caste systems and, and arrangements and ethnic and cultural differences, age differences, gender issues. Only God can bring all that together. Amen. And Paul says God's given me the, the dispensation to declare this mystery. Paul said, I received grace and apostleship. <laughs> so he's got some things to declare. And he's going to have to straighten out the Romans a little bit on some of this issue. Read on, verse 7. Ephesians 3, verse 7 says, If this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Here, here, back to the grace. Back to God giving me the power to do something that I couldn't do myself. It's not Paul's wisdom that did this. Yeah, Paul had a great education, but his education got him nowhere as far as this is concerned. His education only made him hate Christians. 
arrogant about who he was. But God's grace turned him around. And this gift of God's grace, which is given me by the working of his power to me, though I'm the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. There's people that don't want the Gentiles to hear that. They don't want some of these, quote, barbarians that live in the streets of Rome to hear this. They don't want some of these nations that are on the outskirts of the Roman Empire. They don't want them to hear it. They don't want some of these nations from, from Africa to know this gospel that God wants to declare to them. Now, this is meant for us. And if they want to come to us, then they're going to have to make some changes and become like us. No. God doesn't want them like you. He's got you. He wants some people who aren't like you. Not that he doesn't like you. God wants others. He wants people not like us. And, and all of this divisions that are in the world and in our nation and in our churches, God hates it because this is not the gospel. The gospel says no divisions, no lines, none. God made me a minister to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Go ahead. Try to understand the riches of Christ. Thirteen volumes on the book of Romans? Really? That's just a start. So not only does this, this grace and apostleship, not only is it more than just a letter, it's, it's all also comes with Paul's official authority. Point C, it also has his, his obligation to deliver it. Paul says, I didn't have a choice. I am obligated to declare this message. There's all kinds of places I could go with this, and later on we may look at some other things. Romans chapter 12, look at verse 3, says, For by grace given to me, by the what? Grace. The grace. He's not talking about his salvation. He's talking about this gifting that God gave him to preach this message. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I know I teach this different than almost everybody else that you have heard, but here I go. Do you love me? Everybody say, yeah, I love you, Jeff. Okay, yeah, all right. What he says is not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. He says, you're not a lone wolf. There is no such thing as a lone wolf in the body of Christ. You are a member of a body. Member, not the body. You're just a member. And a fingernail without a body is just a piece of tissue. All right? That's all it is. I don't know what you're called, what your giftings, what your position. It doesn't matter. You can't do it without the rest of the body. Now listen, 
Paul's discussion here, he's not talking starting in verse 12 or verse 1 of chapter 12. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about how we live what God has called us to do. And so we come down to verse 3. Yeah, grace given to me, to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, according to each one, according to the measure of faith God has assigned to him. The word measure in the Greek language, it's the measure of faith. No, a measure of faith. To a measure of faith that God has given you. Why? Because your measure of faith is different than mine. This is not the faith to be saved. This is not the faith to live to the, to the grace of God. This is the faith to do what God called you to do in your position in the body of Christ. A number of years ago when Rick Renner began telling that he was moving his family to Latvia and then later on they moved all the way to Moscow. He was moving his family to Latvia and they had just had a little boy. Joel had just been born. It's like, what are you doing? And he went out to lunch with Jan and I and he shared with us down the macaroni grill, which doesn't exist anymore. But, um, and he shared what he was doing and I smiled. My head was thinking, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You're not called to go to Russia. I, I said that to myself. Luckily, I, right? I didn't say it out loud. I said it to Jan when we got back to the car. But I didn't say it out loud. You're not called to that. I don't believe you should go. You, you can't go. I, I thought within myself, I thought, yeah, but you're... You, you travel everywhere. The churches here in America need you. They need your message. They need what God has given you. You need to be here. Who wants? And, and he was moving in February. Even if you go to Russia, you don't go in the middle of the winter. <laughs> what are you doing? You know, in my head, I was just having this argument. So thankful I didn't open my mouth. Because about two years later, he wrote a book called Dream Thieves. How many have read his book, Dream Thieves? And he talks about when he was going to Russia, all these people that told him he wasn't supposed to go, all these people that tried to steal the dream that God had placed on the inside of him. And he listed some of them. But I wasn't on the list. I kept my mouth closed. Yeah. And man, I would have been right up there at the top. I was, oh my gosh. Oh, I'm so glad I kept my mouth closed. We evaluate other people's giftings and positions based on the faith that God has given us to do what we're called to do. Yeah. Don't do that. You can't be what they are. You don't have that gifting of faith. You don't have that measure of faith he's not talking about a measure that's given to everybody or god has given us the measure of faith no it's a measure to do what god has called you to do check it out in the greek language if you want to there's no article in front of the word measure it's a measure why because you have the measure to do what god has called you to do 
Paul said, God has given me grace and apostleship. And then he goes through some of the things God's given him to do. He didn't give me to do that. I don't have the measure of faith, the gifting. I don't have the grace, another way Paul says it, according to the grace given to me. What, grace and faith are two sides of a coin? Grace is God's side. God gives his grace. Faith, we receive it by faith. So faith is our side. Grace is God's side. And so it doesn't matter whether he calls it a measure of faith or a gift of grace. Same thing. I have to use the, the measure of faith that God has given me to do the gift God's called me to do. I don't need to be messing around in your gift. I need to be trying to be who you are. Now, people come to me sometimes and they ask advice. It's like, do you think this? Do you think that? I will never tell you that I believe that you're called to be this or called to be that because I don't know. You should know. And I will not let anybody prophesy a gift into my life. No one. Oh, they can say it. But they don't have the power to prophesy a gift into my life. God gives the gifts. Not men. Maybe there are people who are living under the bondage of something that someone prophesied over them, and they're never reaching it because God didn't give it. I'm sorry. Do I sound angry? I'm not angry. Just frustrated at how some people steal the joy and the peace from people's lives by their own manipulation. Uh, There's another word for that that's used in the book of Galatians chapter 5 where you manipulate a person's life, it's called witchcraft. But I'll just pass over that. So what Paul says is, listen, this is, this is God has given me a grace to speak these things into your life. He, God did not give me the grace to write the book of Romans. But he has given me the grace to teach it. Now, I can't teach it if I won't study it. God does not, there is no gift of study. Oh, how I wish there was. That I could just go to bed at night and wake up with all the information I need. I don't even have a gift of working a computer. I'm not sure there is a gift for that. But this is, this is us using the grace that God has given in our life. Paul says, Uh, This comes with an official authority. I'm not just writing a letter. I received grace and apostleship, and and I am going to be diligent about delivering that. It comes with this official authority and my obligation to deliver it. Verse 4, he goes on and says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members one of another, having gifts that differ. Listen, I want you to hear this verse right there. It's in the middle of your page. Point C, obligation to deliver. The last line of Romans chapter 12, verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace. What's it say? Given to us. Given by who? You are different from me because God wanted it that way. So stop trying to be me. 
Stop trying to be someone else. Because you're different because God designed you to be different. Find out who you are. Find out what gift God placed in your life. All right, points, point D. Not only was it Paul's obligation to deliver this, it's their obligation to respond to it. To receive it. Romans 15. Going back to Romans chapter 15. Listen to what it says. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel. The gospel of God comes with strength, with power. The ability to do what God has given you to do. The ability to do what you couldn't do on your own. I'm glad for the grace of God. <laughs> because without his grace, uh, my life would absolutely be a mess. I need God's grace, and I need to find places in my life where I still haven't let the grace of God flow into those things. According to, the, to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but Paul was given to declare it, right? To him who was able to do all these things, but has now been disclosed through his prophetic writings, and has been made known to all the nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about what? The obedience of faith. God has given all these things. God has determined all of these things. God has declared all these things for the obedience of faith. You need to respond. This is your obligation. The obedience of faith. I can give you something but I cannot have faith for you. I have faith for me. And with faith I have, I may pray for you. With faith I have, I may teach you, drawing from what God has given me, his grace, my faith. So I draw from his ability to teach and to communicate. I draw from those things. But I can't, I can't, I can't give you faith. I can't have faith for you. You have to do that. And especially when it comes to salvation. There's so many people I would love to have faith for. I would love to accept Christ for them. How many of you got people that you'd like to accept Christ for? But I can't. I can't. I, I wish I could. But I can't. They have to respond with the obedience of faith. Now, let me just kind of introduce this because we're going to run out of time. Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, to bring about the obedience of faith. This statement made in verse 5 is repeated at the end of Romans chapter 15. You can see it there. So two times in this letter, he uses this phrase, the obedience of faith. All right, so we're down the bottom of page 2. He says, to bring about the obedience of faith. Listen, the Greek word obedience, the Greek word is Hupakuo, H-U-P-A-K-O-U-O, Hupakuo, Akuo. Does that sound like a word to anybody? Akuo, Aku, Aku, Acoustic, Acoustic. Akuo has to do with hear, something you hear, right? So hearing, acoustics has to do with hearing. Hupakuo. The Greek word means to submit yourself 
or in some way sit under the word of someone else. To submit to what you hear. To submit to what you hear. So before you can submit, you have to what? You got to hear something. Because if you're not hearing, you can't submit. Is that right? So we get over to chapter 10 in Romans and familiar section of scripture. He says, you know, so all those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call if they have not heard? And how shall they hear if there be no preacher? And so somebody has to go. They're, They're responsible to respond. But unless somebody preaches the gospel, they don't have anything to hear. So the obedience of faith is simply this. The word obedience means to sit under what you have heard or submit to what you have heard. It means, listen, what you hear, do it. You have heard the word, believe. Believe is simply the verb form of faith. Did you hear the word? Did you hear the gospel? Believe it. That's the obedience of faith. It has nothing to do with rules and regulations. It has nothing to do with doing all these things. I have faith, but I also need to have obedience. That's a whole separate subject. That's not the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith is you submitted yourself to something. You heard something you read. Believe it. That's the obedience of faith. That's me taking my responsibility. We had a lady visiting with us this past uh, Sunday. She was in our Sunday morning class named Amani. And she just shared a little bit, just a little bit. After the service, she shared a little more with me. But she had just come back from Pakistan. Thousands, thousands of people that heard the message that she was going to have a meeting, a gospel meeting, and she went there and she preached the gospel and people got saved. People got healed. There were miracles. There was all manner of things. And all she said, I, she said, all I do is I get up and I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. She's not teaching. She's not there instructing. She's not there begging them, telling them what they need to do. She just simply preaches the gospel and people respond. Why? Because the power is in the gospel. The power is in the word. Preach it. So that the people that are sitting under that, right? They respond with what? Faith. The obedience of faith. The obedience that results in faith. The obedience that comes because of faith. Do you believe what you heard? Do it. That's it. If you believe what you heard, do it. Jesus said that numbers of ways. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then do it. 
those who do the word, not just hear it, but do it. In other words, what we hear, are we doing anything with it? Time and again, we see these presentations of how this worked in, in the lives of people in the Old Testament, people in the New Testament. The word was preached and people changed. Because it's the gospel that produces results. Peter got up on Pentecost Sunday. The Spirit of God came sweeping through. Some things were done, got people's attention. But it was Peter's preaching. He got up, he called them all sinners. You can't, you, you can't, you, know, you can't call people sinners. They, they won't, you know, they won't like you. He called them sinners. He says, you killed the Christ. You killed the author of life, he says in another one of his passages. I love that. You put to death the author of life. Wow, a phrase. But you know what? He preached it, people responded. Because not only do you need to have faith in what you are declaring, it's the people that respond with faith. And if you don't give them something to respond to, then they cannot respond. So it is this obedience that comes with faith. The obedience that comes be because of what we've heard. What is this? This is simply accepting the message of the gospel. That's the obedience of faith. Accepting what you hear. Now, is there other kinds of obedience that go along with that afterwards? Of course there is. There's living the life that God has given us, doing the things God has called us to do, studying his word, finding out who we are, being kind to one another, loving one Yeah, there's all kinds of things we need to do, but that's not the issue. The issue is, have you heard it? Do it. What you have heard, put it into practice. Okay, I'm going to have to quit for today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you for the truth of your word. Father, this, the power of your word to transform our lives. We just need to believe it. We don't make it happen. We believe it. And you make the change. You tell us that you will give us peace. We don't have to find a way to peace. We believe your word, and you give it. I thank you, Father God, that as we study your word, you help us to see the power that you have invested in your word, that we hear it, we believe it, and, Father God, you will perform it. And we thank you for these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.